I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Be seated. Thanks. I'm actually more glad to be here than you are that I'm here. And I'm telling you the truth. I am glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this since we started this campus. I wanted to meet you. I wanted to be here. So I'm glad to be here. Uh, we love you guys very much. And our vision when we started was to not just pipe our services in, but was to have a campus here. And the reason is, is because you have gifts and callings from God that you need to use for the kingdom of God. And no, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, we've all made mistakes. Well, that's what the Bible's pretty clear about that. For all have sinned, all have sinned, all have come short of the glory of God. So we've all made mistakes. And yet God in his grace uses all of us. If you just go through the Bible and read the whole story of Abraham, Moses, David, all these guys that were heroes to us, you'll find out all of them were jerks. <laughs> I started, I thought about calling the church jerks without Jesus. Because <laughs> without Jesus, we're just, we, we're just jerks, you know? And so I don't, I, I don't have time to tell you my story. Hopefully at some point I can, but I grew up not far from here. I grew up in Longview, Texas. And uh, so I, I'm an East Texas boy, uh, but I got involved in drugs and immorality and all sorts of junk. And uh, uh, finally, a guy in a motel room, he was in the motel room beside me. I was in Jake's Motel. Now, Jake's Motel um, has no stars. You know, you've heard of a three-star hotel, four-star, okay, no stars, okay? Uh, but they did provide pets. Were, yeah, yeah, pets. There were roaches about, about that big. So, so, so that's where I got saved. I was in room 12, and the other guy was in room 13. There were only 13 rooms. And he, he shared with me about Jesus. And I had grown up in church, turned my back on God, got involved in all sorts of junk. And he said to me, Robert, it's not enough to believe in God. You have to give him control of your life. Amen. And I did that in a motel room. And uh, that's what changed my life. And so I'm really, really glad to be here with you guys. You saw my grandchildren. I love grandchildren. I just, just, uh, I, did, I never thought I'd be old enough to have grandchildren. <laughs> And now that I have nine of them, you know, my, my children act, apparently don't know what causes it. <laughs> or they're not willing to give it up. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I, I love grandchildren. Grandchildren, just so you know, are God's reward for not killing your children. <laughs> so that's, just, that's just God rewarding you. So... So the, so the next time you feel like just, you know, just hang on because there's a better one coming along. And we, 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 love, we love our grandkids. You know what we like to do? We like to hop them up on sugar. We like to give them a lot of sugar and go home and get revenge on our kids. It's, it's fantastic. So, so I love Pastor Stephen. Don't y'all love Pastor Stephen? And, what he's done. 
And I got to meet uh, Chaplain Barker and Chaplain Henderson and, and then some that you might know, Chaplain Thomas and Chaplain Jones are here as well. Um, let me say something to the Gateway family, uh, and that is to all the Gateway campuses. I told you last weekend that I had a surprise for you, and this is the surprise. But you've seen the Gateway other campuses welcome you. I'm going to give you a chance today. Will you at our Cofield campus welcome all of the other Gateway campuses? Will you welcome them? So we're going to have a good time. Um, so I'm going to preach a message to you uh, that, that God gave me specifically for you just a few weeks ago as I began praying about coming here. And the title of it is Why? So we'll get to what I mean by that in a moment. But I'm going to read you a passage in the Bible and then we'll talk about why. All right. This is 2 Samuel chapter 9 verse 1. Now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness to him for Jonathan's sake? Many of you are familiar with this, that Saul was the king, Jonathan was his son, so he was the heir to be the king, but David became the next king. So David says, is there anyone left of the house of Saul and Jonathan that I can show kindness to? And there was a servant of the house of Saul named, whose name was Ziba. Have you ever noticed in the Bible, there aren't any bills? <laughs> Jim, you know, Bob, you just, it's, they're all weird names. All right, so, so when they called it to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone at the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he's in the house of Mekir. Told you they, don't, they got strange names. The son of Emil. And then this is the town he lived in, in Lo-Debar. Lo-Debar. That's, by the way, on the way to nowhere. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Emil, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, that was his name, Mephibosheth. You have to go to seminary to learn to pronounce that. I have a friend of mine that pastors a church, and on Sunday nights, he lets the young preachers preach. It's actually kind of cool. But uh, one of the young preachers got up, and he preached his whole message on Mephibosheth. <laughs> So it's not Mephibosheth, it's Mephibosheth. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. That means to be bowed down. So David said to him, Mephibosheth. In other words, he's asking, are you Mephibosheth? And he answered, here is your servant. So David said to him, do not fear. Now I'll explain to you why David had to say that. Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather. 
and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he, that's Mephibosheth, bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? So here's the question. What, why are you doing this? That's where I got the title of my message. Why? Why did David show kindness to Saul's grandson and Jonathan's son? Why? Why did he do that? By the way, you, you might want to know this. Um, Mephibosheth was not born lame. He became lame. Let me read it to you. 2 Samuel 4 verse 4. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. And of course, no doctors back then that could fix him. So he was crippled for the rest of his life. So I got three points for you. Here's number one. Why did Mephibosheth's nurse run? Why did she run? The reason was because Saul was the king. Jonathan was next. But Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. So Mephibosheth was next in line to be king. And the prophet Samuel had already anointed David to be king. So the reason she ran was because in those days, it was tradition that if a new family came into ruling, that they killed all the descendants of the previous ruling family so that they couldn't raise up a a coup against them one day. And so she was trying to save Mephibosheth's life, and yet she dropped him and he became lame. But think about this. When, When Mephibosheth was growing up and he's watching the other kids run and play, Every time he asked, why can't I run and play? The answer came back one word, David. David, you see, your nurse, your nanny, your babysitter was trying to save your life because David became the new king and David would kill you. When when Mephibosheth asked people, why do I live in low Debar? And and nobody wanted to live in low Debar. You probably never even heard of low Debar. That's how small it was. And by the way, you know what it means? It's amazing in the Bible, and especially in Hebrew, uh, names meant something. Like Bethlehem means house of bread, you know. Bethel means house of God. So they named cities by a spiritual meaning. Lo Debar means a dry, barren wilderness. So every time he asked, why do I live in Lo Debar? One word, David. And let me say it another way. Because if the king could, if he could find you, if he knew you were still alive, he'd kill you. The king would kill you. The king is mad at you. Okay, here's the reason I'm trying to help us understand this. Many of us believe or grew up believing that God was mad at us. That God didn't like us. That God was just sitting up there in heaven with a club waiting to get us. And he becomes lame. Think about this too. He suffers for the rest of his life for something he didn't do. Now that's happened to all of us. Now all of us have suffered for some things we've done. All of us. Every person in the world. We we all, it's consequences. We've all faced consequences for things. 
But some of us also, well, all of us really, we, we didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose where we grew up. Uh, we might have fallen into the wrong crowd. And all of us suffer consequences because of things other people did to us. So I know people that cannot get over something that someone did to them years ago. And it holds them back for the rest of their life. That's Mephibosheth. I mean, he was lame because of David. He could have lived in bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment. He did live in fear. Because the first thing David says to him is do not fear. So when you think about Mephibosheth, here's a guy that had something happen to him. It's someone else's fault. Now, I'll tell you all a funny story. Um, when I was in school, I had a friend named Jim Wolf, And Jim and I were... Um, we were always doing stuff we shouldn't have done, you know, shouldn't have been doing. And um, we both had Grand Prix. This is back in the early 70s. It was, uh, no, it was in the late 70s, but our cars were early 70s. But we had Pontiac Grand Prix. And back then, you know, we thought we were cool. And one day it was raining, and so we pulled our cars up under the covered uh, walkway by the gym. And, of course, the, you know, over the speaker, the principal, Jim Wolf, Robert Morris, come to my office now, you know, so... <laughs> Everybody in school knew Jim Wolf and Robert Morris. We were always uh, in trouble. And so one time we got in trouble, we were in this classroom, and I don't know if the classroom had been something else before, but only about half of it was desk, and the, then there was another half that was just nothing. Like maybe it had been a science lab, and they'd cleared that out. So there's about, you know, 20, 30 desks in the front, and then there's another 30 feet where there's nothing. And Jim and I, we were doing something. We got in trouble, and so the teacher said, you, you, Jim, you and Robert, you scoot back to the back wall and just sit back there. You sit back there. So we scooted all the way back wall. It's just he and I back there, okay? And I, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. <laughs> Jim very loudly passed gas. <laughs> and, of course, the crowd... The class starts cracking up, but they all turn around, and when they do, Jim goes like this. <laughs> and I couldn't, no, no, but it's too late. So I'm not going to say the whole thing, but you'll be able to figure out. So I got a nickname, Gassy, and the second word is you take the G off. I suffered for something I didn't do. Okay, so why, why, why did the nurse run? Because she's trying to save him from, from uh, David. Here's a second question because I want to bring Abraham into this just to give you another example to help us. Why did God show up and talk to Abraham? Here's, here's what we don't know. We know Abraham was a man of God, but he wasn't always a man of God. This is Genesis 12. Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. Babel means confusion. And it, they're so prideful, they're going to build a tower to heaven. And God has to come down and confuse their language. Genesis 6 through 10 is the flood of Noah. And in Genesis 6, God says that he regretted creating man because the thoughts of their heart were evil continually. 
So that's how far the world had, had gone into sin. So you got Genesis 6 through 10, Noah, the flood, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. At the end of Genesis 11, it says there was a man named Abraham. He calls him Abram at that time, son of Terah. And then in Genesis 12 is where he shows up and says, I will bless you and make you a great nation. And later we find out Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Okay, but why? Abraham, what people don't realize, was a heathen before this. There was no nation of God. Matter of fact, the nation of God started with Abraham. (laughs) Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 sons. And Jacob became Israel, the 12 sons of Israel, and that's where the nation of Israel came from. There, there, There were no 10 commandments. That's 500 years later. No law, none of that. Abraham is a heathen. And God shows up and says, I want to talk to you. Now, I've always thought about this. What if God had shown up the day before and said, tomorrow, I want to talk to you. I wonder how Abraham would have slept that night. (laughs) Yeah. How would we have slept, you know, if we didn't know God and we thought he's just a guy with a club up there, you know. But he shows up. I'm saying, why did God show up and talk to Abraham? Here's what he says. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. Abraham hasn't done anything right or wrong yet. Hadn't done anything. By the way, we talk about what was he like before he got saved. After he got saved, he lied about his wife. After he got saved, he slept with his maid and had a child out of wedlock. So what was he like before he got saved? But God shows up and says, I'm here for one reason. I'm here to bless you. I hope it just starts dawning on you that God is not mad at you. That God actually wants to bless you no matter what the world tells you about God. Think about this. God didn't say to Abraham, I've come to to, uh, straighten you up. I've come to chew you out. Uh, I've come come to condemn you because you you need to be condemned. I've come to judge you. Just wait till I read the record of all the stuff you've done. I didn't come to clean your clock. God didn't say that to Abraham. I didn't come to clean your clock. And he could have said, and I could. Here's what he said. I've come to bless you. And, and, and Hebrews tells us that on the way over, when, when God shows up to Abraham, it says he swore by himself. Let, let me re- read you a scripture just so you see it. Maybe you've never seen it. Hebrews 6, 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely, blessing, I will bless you, multiplying, I will multiply. Okay. What you might not know is in those days when you swore an oath, you swore by someone greater than yourself. Basically a tough guy that could make you keep up your end of the deal. When I was uh, in high school, again, I told you I kind of went the wrong path. When I was younger than high school, my dad bought a, a pool table 
And I became really good at pool. And there was a professional pool player, friends of my dad, that taught me to play pool and taught me correct ways. If you ever, uh, I don't know if I should tell you these hustling things or not. Um, but if you ever see a person holding their pool cue like this with their fingertips, they're not a good player. Because you can move your fingertips. A good player always has his palm rest on the, on the table because it won't move. And then this is like a pin. So anyway, this guy taught me how to play pool. And I just had a proficiency for it. And I got to where I could just clear the table. So when I was in high school, I hustled pool. Well, the first time, I, what I'd do is I'd act drunk. And then I'd get the bet way up. And then I'd just clear the table. So are you all okay with your pastor telling you this? That I used to, this, I used to do stuff like, okay. All right, so... So I said, are all you church people, I'm okay with me telling you, you know, so we might have some church people get mad at me for this, you know. We actually, when I was, when I used to do revivals, I used to, they won't, they, when I, when I used to do revivals, I was real good at pool and, and the guy that would sing for me was fourth of the nation in college bowling. And we would go to the bowling alley and he would hustle the bowlers and I'd hustle the pool players. <laughs> But what we'd do is we'd say, if you win, I'll give you $20. But if you lose, you have to come to church. And we had 28 guys get saved in one week that we hustled. Came to church. Isn't that funny? (laughs) And And the deacons in the church got mad at us. And they said, you guys can't do that. You're gambling. We said, it's not gambling. They don't don't even have a chance. You know, we're, we're we're that good. So, but... The first time I hustled this guy, he beat me up afterwards because he realized I was a hustler. So I got a friend of mine named Philip Mann who was state champion in shot put. Now, you got some strength when you can throw a 16-pound you know, ball. You also got strength if you want to punch somebody like that, you know. So I told Philip, you come and you be my muscle, and everything I win, you'll, you know, I'll give you half of, you know. So that's what we, we'd go out and we would hustle pool like that. So that was just my, my I, I had muscle. In other words, I had somebody greater than I was to back me up. Are y'all following me? So that, what they would do is when they would make a, a covenant, uh, they would get someone, they'd pick out a real tough guy and they'd say, now, you know, Jim is going to confirm this covenant. And then if you didn't keep your end, Jim would say, I'm about to whoop you. Unless you do what you said you were going to do. Are you all following me? So, so God said, on my way over here, uh, I couldn't really think of anybody greater than I am. So I'm going to swear by myself. And here's what I swear. I swear to bless you. Yeah, this is just so amazing because church and religion has made God like the bad guy. And everywhere in the Bible, the only reason he ever shows up is to bless people. The reason he sent Jesus, Acts 3 says, is to bless you. I sent Jesus to bless you. Are you all following me? So, so here's what I want to show you because it's real important. So he makes a covenant with Abraham. And, and there was a way they made a covenant. And, and let, me, let me just read it to you. Genesis 15, verses 9 and 10. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. 
And then in verse 12, it says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And then verse 17, 18, it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Okay, I know that sounds like a lot of stuff you say. I don't even understand all that. Okay, I'm going to explain to you. First of all, how they made a covenant. They cut these animals, laid them in half, and there, of course there's blood. A blood there's always a, a blood, shedding of blood with the covenant. And then they pass through the pieces. Now here's, I'm, I want to show you how they pass through the pieces. Now they, I asked them, I said, tell me somebody that would be good to help me in this illustration. And they told me there's a guy here named Arkansas. Arkansas, come here. <laughs> you got recommended for this. <laughs> all right, come here. So, all right, here, you, you stand right there. I'm going to stand right here. So let's pretend like we have cut these animals and we laid them out in pieces, all right? So we're standing here. So what we would do is we would walk through the pieces then we're going to make a circle. So you go that way. And I'm going to go this way. Just keep walking. Keep walking. That's right. Come on back. We're going to come back to where we were. And when we would come back together. And what that meant was, is that you and I are going to walk together. But even if life takes us different directions, we will always come back together because we're in covenant. You got it? Is that good? Okay. Thank you. All right. So that's the way they make a covenant, okay? But here's what you need to know. So God's making a covenant with Abraham, but please hear this. He puts Abraham asleep. He puts Abraham asleep. And a smoking oven shows up, which represents the father because he is the creator of all life. And a burning torch shows up, which represents the son because he's the light of the world. And that the smoking oven and the torch pass through the pieces together. In other words, the father and the son. And the Bible says Abraham believed and it was counted in for righteousness. See, God didn't make the covenant with Abraham directly. You want to know why? Because Abraham couldn't keep it. God the father and God the son made the covenant. And Abraham believed and got in on it. Hear me, God the father and God the son made a covenant on a hill called Calvary, and if you believe, you get in on it. And this is that scripture, Romans 4, 3. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Accounted comes from the word account or accounting. And literally what this word means is deposited in his account. So righteousness means right standing with God. Doesn't mean you do everything right or you're perfect because none of us will be that. But it means right standing with God. See, here's what was in all of our accounts, sin. God took sin out of our accounts and put it in Jesus' account. And Jesus bore the sin of the world. And when you believe, God takes uh, righteousness out of his son's account and puts it in your account, which is right standing with God. 
So why did God show up? He did this to bless them. I, this accounting, um, I like this. I, uh, they showed you a picture a moment ago of Ethan and Elaine. Um, Elaine, I mean, Ethan, my son-in-law, has a degree in accounting, which is good because Elaine, my daughter, uh, can't count. <laughs> At least money, that is. And Ethan's real good with his money, and I appreciate that. On their second date, they went to Wendy's. <laughs> and Elaine did like she normally would do. I want number four, I want a biggie size it, and I want uh, frosty. And Ethan said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> he said, turn your beautiful eyes over this way. <laughs> to the dollar menu. He said, he said, we're not ordering off of that menu. We're ordering off of that menu. And my daughter came home and said, Dad, did you know Wendy's has a dollar menu? I said, yes, sugar. I order from it. I know it does. She said, Ethan said, all the fast food restaurants have dollar menus. And I remember thinking, this is the man for my daughter. It's good. So why, so why did Mephibosheth's nurse run? Because she was trying to protect him from David because she thought David was trying to kill him. Why did Abraham, I know this seems, unre, they, they don't seem related, but they will. Why did God just show up to Abraham? Because he wanted to bless him. It says that, I want to bless you, right? So here's the third question. Why did David show kindness to Mephibosheth? Remember Mephibosheth's statement, 2 Samuel 9, verse 8. Then he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Okay. Now, David doesn't answer it, but we know the answer. See, David and Jonathan have made a covenant. You probably heard of it. So listen to the answer and just let it dawn in your spirits, all right? Because this relates to all of us. Mephibosheth says, why are you doing this? Why are you showing me kindness? Here's the answer. Nothing you've done. Nothing you've done. But you see, there's a covenant between your father and the king. If you want to know why God likes you, loves you, wants to bless you, and show you kindness, it's because there's a covenant between the Father and the King. And all you have to do, all you have to do to get in on it is believe. That's it. That's all you have to do.